This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Hi guys, welcome back to Portable Peds, your pediatric board review podcast. I'm Sam, and as always is with me, Ryan. Hey guys. We're going to kick it off with our review this week. So if you remember back to our week one case, it was on type 1 diabetes. So if we think about that, type 1 diabetes can commonly present with the polys. So remember, polyphagia, polydipsia, and polyuria. However, it's also common to present with abdominal pain and vomiting. This may or may not be accompanied by rapid deep breathing, which you know as Kuzmal respirations. DKA is more common in type 1 diabetes mellitus, which is typically an autoimmune disease. Because of this, it's important to ask about family histories of other autoimmune diseases as well, such as hypothyroidism or celiac disease. Treatment for DKA includes IV insulin infusion, hydration with IV fluids, and frequent lab monitoring, including blood glucose and electrolytes. In addition, all of the following are associated with increased risk of cerebral edema in patients presenting with DKA. These include azotemia, decreased partial pressure of arterial CO2, treatment with bicarbonate, lack of increase in serum sodium during therapy, and fluid refractory shock. However, if you remember from our case, initial serum glucose is not associated with increased risk of cerebral edema in patients with DKA. Sorry to interrupt, but wanted to let y'all know that we just launched a very short survey to get your listener preferences when it comes to medical education in the virtual space and podcasting. This survey shouldn't take longer than a few minutes, three to five at the most, and it would mean the world to us. You can find the link in the show notes of this episode and on our social media. Thanks again for your feedback and contributions, and happy studying. Now thinking about week two, we talked about adrenal insufficiency. In this case, we presented a patient with primary adrenal insufficiency, or PAI, which is also known as Addison's disease. This is caused by the inability to produce glucocorticoids and or mineral corticoids by the adrenal cortex. In primary adrenal insufficiency, the adrenal cortex is not responsive to ACTH, leading to increased ACTH levels through the HPA axis. These increased ACTH levels can then induce renin release by the juxtaglomerular cells of the kidneys. It is important, however, to distinguish between primary and secondary adrenal insufficiency, as secondary adrenal insufficiency is due to inadequate ACTH levels, which means the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone, or RAAS, system is unaffected. The symptoms are then based on steroid deficiencies. This includes weight loss, fatigue, dizziness, orthostatic hypotension, fever, abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and salt craving. In addition, patients with primary disease can develop hyperpigmentation through breakdown of endogenous ACTH into alpha-melanocyte-stimulating hormone, or known as alpha-MSH. This hyperpigmentation particularly occurs in sun-exposed areas, skin creases, mucosal membranes, scars, and the areola of the breast. Ryan, do you want to take us through some of the lab abnormalities we can see with PAI? Sure. 
So patients with PAI develop multiple lab abnormalities due to steroid deficiencies. The most common electrolyte abnormalities are hyponatremia and hyperkalemia, although hypercalcemia and hypoglycemia are also common, especially in adrenal crisis. On CBC, these patients can also have anemia, eosinophilia, and or lymphocytosis, depending on the etiology of their illness. Per the Endocrine Society Clinical Practice Guideline for the Diagnosis and Treatment of Primary Adrenal Insufficiency, which was published in February of 2016, the treatment for adrenal crisis is hydrocortisone, followed by appropriate fluid resuscitation with isotonic saline. The hydrocortisone is initially given as 100 mg as a flat dose, or in 50 mg per meter squared in children. This is then followed by 200 mg, or 50 to 100 mg per meter squared of hydrocortisone given over 24 hours, either as a continuous IV infusion or six hourly injections. The patient may also need resuscitation with dextrose-containing fluids for hypoglycemia if present. And finally, our previous week was on short stature, which was our last endo case. So short stature is generally classified as height greater than two standard deviations below the mean. A way to estimate normal growth rates in children is the rule of fives, which rounds the growth rates by increments of five per year. So in the first year of life, you're expected to grow approximately 25 centimeters per year. This then decreases to 10 centimeters per year until age four. This then decreases again to five centimeters per year until about age 12. Length is typically used for measurement through age two, and then height is then preferred at age three, but really either can be used from ages two to three years old. This height velocity can obviously vary based on numerous factors, including pubertal status and gender, but these serve as general rules. So now we'll talk about some of the diseases that can lead to short stature. So shocks deletion can lead to short stature due to shocks deficiency, shocks spelled S-H-O-X. So shocks deletions on X chromosomes are also more common than on Y chromosomes. This disease is typically then more severe and more frequently symptomatic in females. So growth failure is typically noted in early childhood as their birth length is usually only mildly reduced. So common presenting symptoms for shocks deficiency with short stature is disproportionately shortened limbs. So their extremity to trunk ratio is less than negative one standard deviation. They also typically can have a made lung deformity of the forearm and wrist with spontaneous subluxation of the distal ulna. Now, on x-ray of the forearm in these patients, it can show three signs. It can show triangularization, pyramidalization, and lucency of the distal radius. Now, Sam, you want to take us through some more diseases? Absolutely. So if we look at deletions in chromosome 15Q11 to Q13, this is where we can see Prader-Willi syndrome. In most cases, about 60%, defective genetic imprinting results in chromosomal deletion in the father. However, in about 35% of patients, this can be due to inheritance of two copies of chromosome 15 from the mother and none from the father. This is called maternal uniparental disomy. Typically, though, inheritance of abnormal chromosome 15 from the mother will result in Angelman syndrome. Of note, Prader-Willi syndrome can occur in both males and females equally. Common presenting symptoms for Prader-Willi syndrome include hypotonia, dysmorphic facies, including a disproportionately long and narrow head, or known as dolicocephaly, Developmental delay, short stature associated with reduced height velocity and accelerated weight gain, reduced muscle mass and increased fat mass, hypogonadism, and sleep apnea. And for sleep apnea, it is recommended to refer for evaluation, especially if you're treating with growth hormone. In these patients, growth hormone treatment increases height and height velocity, but more importantly, it can increase lean body mass, leading to improved body composition. It is suggested that early initiation of treatment with recombinant human growth hormone may provide greater benefit. 
The next disease we talked about was achondroplasia. And if you remember, this is caused by the FGFR3 mutation, which typically occurs spontaneously in about 80% of patients with the rest inherited from a parent. These patients exhibit disproportionate short stature with proximal limb shortening, which is also known as rhizomelic limb shortening. In these patients, full adult height is typically about four feet tall. Hypotonia is also common in infancy. Dysmorphic features of these patients can include midfacial hypoplasia with relative macrocephaly and frontal bossing, lumbar lordosis, and the signature trident hand, which are short and broad hands with increased space between the middle three fingers, giving them a fork-like appearance. These children typically do well, but motor delays, otitis media, and lower leg bowing are more common in this patient population. Additionally, up to 5-10% to can develop hydrocephalus, craniocervical junction compression, and upper airway compression. However, cognitive deficits are not typical in these patients. Do you want to walk us to the next one, Ryan? Sure. So now let's compare Turner syndrome and Noonan syndrome to bring us home. So Turner syndrome on karyotype, you would expect to see the genotype 45X with partial or complete loss of the second chromosome X. Therefore, these patients will only present as phenotypically female. Patients with Turner syndrome can present with disproportionate growth and skeletal abnormalities, including a short fourth metacarpal bone, shortened and webbed neck, broad chest with widely spaced nipples, also known as a shield chest, and also cubitus valgus and genuverum. These patients also require a referral to a cardiologist due to increased incidence of structural heart defects, most commonly a bicuspid aortic valve and aortic coarctation. However, the aortic coarctation, while a common buzzword, only occurs in about 5-10% to 10% of these patients. These patients are also prone to gonadal dysgenesis and premature ovarian failure. Treatment with growth hormone therapy is the standard of care treatment for patients with Turner syndrome who also have short stature. Now, by comparison, Noonan syndrome has a normal karyotype, and there are multiple different genetic mutations that can cause this. The most common genetic mutation is the PTPN11 mutation. However, it can also occur with SOS1, RIT1, RAF1, and CRAS, among many others. In either case, genetic testing confirms the diagnosis, but negative genetic testing results do not exclude a clinical diagnosis of Noonan syndrome. Of note, this syndrome presents very similarly to Turner syndrome, but whereas Turner syndrome can only affect females, Noonan can affect both males and females. This syndrome commonly presents with normal birth weight and length, but it also has developmental delays, growth failure, and short stature pretty commonly, occurring in about 50-70% to 70% of cases. They also can have scoliosis and other spinal abnormalities. They can have distinctive dysmorphic facies, a broad or webbed neck, cubitus valgus, which is outward deviation of the elbows, and these patients are also prone to cardiac defects. About two-thirds of patients will have cardiac defects. About 50% of those will be pulmonary valvular stenosis. About 30% will be atrial septal defects. And about 20% will be hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Again, like we talked about last week, the vast majority of the time, these occur as solitary lesions, but they can occur simultaneously. And then lastly, kids with Noonan syndrome can have cryptorchidism. But that's going to do it for our uh, couple of cases and review on endocrinology. Next week, we're going to have a special episode for you as a bonus because there's five Saturdays this month. So we're going to have an episode on OMM where Sammy and I will kind of talk about that as we're both DO physicians and just kind of share that. It won't necessarily be related to ABP boards, but just some fun bonus content for you. So you'll love that to look forward to next week. But otherwise, share with a friend and happy studying, guys. See ya. Bye, guys. Have a good week.
These increased ACTH levels can then induce renin released by the juxtaglomerular cells. <laughs> so patients with primary adrenal insufficiency do develop multiple lab or... Ab <laughs> I was going to say anomalies and abnormalities came out. Um. Welcome to Portable Peds, the pediatric port... <laughs> this height velocity can obviously vary based on number of fact. And also to note, aortic coarctation. <laughs> Treatment with gorth, gorth, with gorth, good old gorth hormone. <laughs> Hypogonasm. <laughs> Bam. Did it. Nailed it. <laughs>